Hello, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya. Welcome to episode number 71. My guest for this episode is Hayley Mary. Uh, some of you might know her as the singer of the band The Jezebels, but she's been making some solo music for the last couple of years and it's really good. Uh, we spoke at the beginning of July just after her EP The Drip was released, so definitely go check that out. We had a few tech issues. One of them was so bad that we actually decided to revisit a week later to finish the interview. We spoke for some time before we noticed the issue, so there's a big chunk of dialogue missing, which I reference in the bit after that. So don't worry if you're like, I don't remember them talking about this. It's just that that piece of audio doesn't exist. It's not you, it's us. I've put some intermission music to separate the uh, two pieces in so you can follow the timing of the mishap, um, you know, play along at home. As you may or may not know, my last question of the podcast is always, what is your strangest show experience? And someone different illustrates that story however they like each time. You can see all of these illustrations on the Hearsay podcast Instagram or search Hearsay on Facebook. Haley's strange show story was illustrated by my dear friend Ruby McGregor. Ruby plays in Brisbane bands Baba Ganoush, Catalano and Lexicon. She's amazing and this picture is very funny, as is the story. As always, uh, there is swearing in this episode, so don't listen with little kids if you can help it. Please like and subscribe on your podcast app and leave me a message on iTunes. I really love hearing from you. I hope you're all doing okay. Here is episode number 71 with Hayley Mary. Hayley, thanks so much for doing my podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, we've had a, a, just a slow start getting all our tech sorted and now I feel like we're flying. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> how, how are your feelings today? Have you had a good day? That's such a great way of asking someone how they are. How are your feelings today? Because <laughs> it sort of separates you from your feelings and could be helpful if you weren't, if your feelings weren't good. Well, day. it's I'm always open to talking about feelings if they're not good, but I hope your feelings are okay. I'm actually feeling really good. I had my four-year anniversary last night. Oh, that's so nice. Um, that's a yeah. big chunk of time. It's solid. It's gone really fast. And then um, we just had a bit of a night of it. So we've had a bit of a dusty day <laughs> just watching basically Netflix. Great. What did you watch? Emma. I watched Emma. Oh, yep. It's the good to do Emma. period drama when you're hungover. Oh, I love a period drama. So do I. I wonder if, because period dramas are also good when you have your period. And I wonder <laughs> if they thought that when they named the genre. Yeah, they it's definitely kind of, thought about. It's very feminine. <laughs> it's a period in time, but it's also about bleeding from your vagina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A premenstrual drama. Yeah. Um. <laughs> My boyfriend's really into period pieces and rom-coms, so I'm a very lucky person. That is really lucky. Um, Mine isn't yeah. at all. Mine's into hard-hitting oh. documentaries. <laughs> right. So I'm quite into war war stuff. Oh, yeah. War dramas and war documentaries, and mm -hmm. he's really into uh, rom-coms, and I find it really funny. <laughs> that is really good. <laughs> How are your feelings? My feelings are okay. I've had a really hectic day, actually. I've had, I've pretty much been nonstop since this morning. So um, okay. I've had the opposite day to you. But I'm feeling, yeah. you know, optimistic. Good. But yeah, I've been feeling, not to get too heavy into my feelings straight away, but I have been feeling really <laughs> grateful because I have been um, really sick lately. Like I've had um, chronic nausea for two months and... So I've had this sort of, now that I'm coming out of it, I am feeling so grateful for every minute that I don't oh, feel sick. Yeah, just normality feels yes. so incredible. It's very different, but I had a massive debt once. Ah. Oh. And it was like debilitating. Like yeah. it was just, it's, I just was servicing the interest and it was just getting bigger and it was like this horrible dark cloud in my life. And yes. And I paid it off eventually after years. 
It oh, was like, man. wow, it feels so good to just have nothing and be in poverty rather than debt. <laughs> was your debt music related? Because I've had a debt, a music related debt before. Like when I was really young, I was putting all my money into the band that I was playing in, um, you know, playing for flights and stuff. Yeah, in some ways it was. I mean, it was a, it was a bit of a, um, it was a multifaceted debt. Yeah, I mean, mine was kind of like, like a, well. it was like the nothing, <laughs> the nothing in, um, what's that, never ending story? You know, the oh, nothing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, yep. the fantasy land. It just kind of grows, like this void that just eats all happiness. Oh man, that's and as it really eats rough. the happiness, it gets bigger. Yep, that sucks. <laughs> That really sucks. So feelings done. Next question. <laughs> feelings, feelings done. <laughs> um, well, I really want to talk about um, your new EP, which is fucking great, by the way. I've been listening to it this week and it's so lovely to hear you sort of sing from the heart. I know that you probably sing from the heart all the time, but I really feel like this one is intensely personal. Do you have that feeling too? That's like it's cool. more personal? Yeah, probably. I don't know. If it is, as in like, I don't, I don't even know what, what drives my writing half the time. I kind of, sometimes I work out what songs are about. Yeah. Like a couple of years later. Oh yeah, me too. Like I'm a bit of a kind of subconscious rambler. Yeah. Like I just let it come out and then hopefully it sounds good. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> maybe makes a bit of sense to someone. But. Yeah, it's um, it probably is more personal. Maybe I maybe I'm a little bit more in touch with myself. I think I've always been personal, but then again, I did do a bit of role playing and theoretical kind of songwriting back in the past. Maybe mm. I was a bit less personal. Yeah, you said that you you're feeling maybe a little bit more in tune with your own emotions now. Probably me and my feelings. You and your feelings. Can we just talk about feelings for an hour? That would be we really have nice. We to know each other. Um, well, c- can we just go back to like little Haley, Like baby Haley, Like child well, Haley. Yeah, child Haley. Okay. Not little, That's is cute. it? Because I think you are quite a bit shorter than me. <laughs> but um, did you ever have a moment in time where you were like, I want to be a singer, I want to be a musician? Like, did you ever have anything actually, driving that? I'm sorry to not give you an original answer on this again, but I did actually get asked this today in another interview, so I have it fresh. I'm um, really sorry that I'm repeating questions. That's, that's totally fine. Happens. It was a different. It was a different question, but the answer is the same. Okay. <laughs> um, I when I saw the movie Ghost. And there was that scene in, yeah, that scene in the pottery scene where Unchained yeah. Melody is playing. And the sexy, I was sexy like, scene. what is this song? Oh, wow. And there was this kind of serendipity about it because I must have been like under four. I must have been four, wow. maybe. And there was this serendipity about it because I went to the bathroom. My dad had a songbook in the bathroom and... One of the first songs in there was Unchained Melody. Oh, wow. I recognised the lyrics. I wouldn't have recognised the name because it's a really weird name. Yeah. That um, <laughs> it doesn't fall out of the chorus. <laughs> no, it's not said at all. Apparently, I, I learned today that it was written for a film called Unchained. Oh, I didn't know that. In 1955. Mm. And then the version we know is a later, yep. more popular version. But, yeah, so that song. Wow. Small Haley was like... I want, I want to, to sing. sing this. I love this so much. What a beautiful song too. I mean, that song is so uh, hardcore in terms of like the singing style and the... It's an ambitious first song. It's full on, <laughs> yeah. It's huge. Um, it's such a massive song. I kind of get annoyed at people when they cover it. Really? Because I'm like, just don't, you can't. like. <laughs> it's untouchable. Just, Just don't. Like, it's not going to be as good. <laughs> <laughs> it's that, and I want it if someone's going to cover it. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you think you'll ever cover it? I've covered it on, like, um, you know, casual, when there was that, like, isolate, like, you know, those, like, oh, Instagram sure, yeah. mm-hmm. live things. But I don't think that's counted. Did you feel like you did it justice? Do you feel like little Haley would have been proud? No, not, <laughs> not, not well enough. I sang it Damn okay. It. I do an all right version, but I'm not very good at the guitar. So right. 
I'd probably need to refine the instrumentation. Yeah. <laughs> so where did you go to from Unchained Melody? Did you then sort of discover like a world of songs that you love the sound of the person singing? Or? I do love that style, like that really tragic stand and deliver, mm. heartbreaking old school stuff like Roy Orbison and the Walker oh, Brothers. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, and like Motown and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, just singing from the heart type yeah. stuff. I love projection singing and like really m- like dramatic melodies and that kind of thing. So yeah. I'm not particularly in my element in 2021 where <laughs> everything's quite understated and like layered into yeah. the vocals. And, or auto-tuned. Which is like, it's totally fine, but it's just kind of, I really like that, you know, Dusty Springfield, Aretha Franklin, like just sing it type thing (laughs) but you're doing that I mean I I feel like that's exactly what I was trying to say like I feel like you're singing your heart out right in that way okay yeah someone singing really clean and projecting loudly and just killing it you know yeah you know what it's actually because of microphones that singing styles have changed because like Back in the day, you had to project because the microphones either, like, you know, traditionally didn't exist. Yeah. And then were not as good. And then, like, you got condenser mics and stuff that have just become more sensitive so they can pick up different parts of the voice. And so it does make sense that people have developed the vocal instrument to evolve with the technology. It's just something about, like, that heart-wrenching projection style singing that I just love. So... Yeah. I'm just going to stick to that for now. Yeah, sure. But I get I get why people have gone that way with music. It's like So do I. And I think production grow. styles have changed so much as well. Like even over the last 10 years, I feel like there's way more totally. people singing differently just because of the vocal effects that are available. And that's um, cool because you wouldn't want everyone doing the same thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then there's Cindy Lauper. I also can't forget her. Oh, Sorry, yeah. I just needed to to interrupt there and be like let's remember <laughs> and Whitney Houston I loved my 80s divas as well yeah, my mom yeah, was yeah. into a lot of 80s pop music so that was the the joy there was the sad tragedy of like yeah 50s and 60s kind of love standards and then yeah. there was yeah, 80s pop divas that I just loved as well I love that too I actually didn't hear Cindy Lauper until I watched the Goonies and then I was like, oh, my God, what is this theme song? I don't even think I've seen it. Oh, my God. You have to watch mm. The Goonies. It's the best mm. film. I don't know if it'll hold up now, actually. I haven't seen it in like it's probably 20 years. Shit. <laughs> it's probably really bad. <laughs> I've, I've discovered that about a lot of those kinds of films. Looking back. It might be and shit. far out they aged badly. Like yeah the humor's really bad and they're always like really offensive and like yeah there might be some like some bad um language towards uh disability in this one actually now that i think about it but the theme song is really good (laughs) yeah 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 i love that song so you were like listening to like 80s and 90s divas you were super into like strong women voices and men voices, just, and just men any voices. singing. Yeah, yeah, just okay. Serious singers, yeah. And then when Elvises did you? And such. When did you start singing? Like, when did you actually like transfer that? Well, yeah, I always sang, and I remember like, you know, when I learned Unchained Melody, whenever that was for. Mm. I always sang in the shower and stuff, and my dad actually. I once went to a Steiner school for about a term. <gasps> I went to a Steiner pretty... school. Right, right, yeah. And they're cool, but, like, it wasn't for me. And I was quite unhappy there. And my dad pulled me out of it because he noticed that I had stopped singing in the shower. Whoa. And he was like, I don't like this. Which one did you go to? Byron. Oh, you grew up in Byron. It wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. I like the discipline of the traditional, like I had a pretty wayward family anyway. So yeah. I kind of was like, I needed the institution and the straightness. I'm actually quite, quite, quite straight. I can totally relate. To... I went to Steiner school yeah. from grade one to grade five. I went to one in Germany and then one in Melbourne. And right. by the end of grade five, I told my parents I wanted to quit. I wanted to go somewhere else because I wasn't learning 
enough. Yeah. Yeah, it was like they taught compassion and beautiful things like that. Yeah. I got really good at painting my feelings in watercolour. Yeah, is that where you get the talking about feelings? I got really good at knitting recorder bags. Do you know what's funny, though? I was bullied there. Oh, no. I had really long hair and I think the girls were jealous. And they, like, knotted wool into it. And I just ended up becoming a tomboy and hanging out with the boys. So, yeah, I didn't have a nice time. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. I'm not going to judge you for every <laughs> child that ever went to Steiner. And, you know, I was probably not very nice times myself. I was a tomboy at Steiner too. Um, yeah. Maybe that's the environment it creates. Who knows? Hello, this is Saya from the future, and this is where Haley's recorder stopped working and we didn't notice for a little while. So we talked a bunch about social media, the hustle of selling yourself, and probably some more feelings chat, especially around my own record and releasing something new. Um, a better editor may have tried to streamline this and edit it in properly, but I decided to write this little intermission piece for you instead. So I hope you enjoy that and enjoy the rest of the podcast. This is Haley and I a week later, absolutely nailing our technologies. You gave me some really good advice that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, about releasing music that you said you know when we're talking about the hustle and how sometimes it's gross but you said people aren't going to know unless you tell them I know that sounds really straightforward but I've been thinking about it a lot and I think that makes things so much less gross yeah it was in reference to social media and like pushing yourself and it's like the biggest thing I've noticed is just that how much how much noise there is now And you kind of like, you actually just have to because, yeah, I think the way I I put it in my brain is like, if I'm not willing to tell people about it, what like, why would anyone else be? Exactly. So, yeah, it's it that that was a realization I had for sure. Yeah. And I'm going to take that on and I'm going to be better at telling people about things and, and try and be a bit less shy. So thank you for that. That's good. I think it's just it's just old school to be like humble and kind of like assume that people will notice what you're doing. Yeah. But like there's just way too much noise now. Yeah, everyone's doing stuff. So Everyone's doing stuff. Everyone is doing everyone has a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's yeah, got everyone an album. Everyone has an album. Everyone <laughs> It's weird, isn't it? I like it. I think it's really nice. Um but it does seem quite overwhelming sometimes yes it does I want to go back to um talking a little bit about you finding your voice um do you think that you've always been a confident singer look to be honest with you no but I also say that from the perspective of feeling like I still don't always have it like right singing for me isn't I know there's some singers out there that like just open their mouth and sound amazing I'm actually not one of those singers. I'm like I don't a, believe I'm, you. No, no, no. Honestly, <laughs> I'm actually a bit of like I'm. I think I'm a good singer, but it, I'm an I'm an effort singer. Like I I right. sort of. It's not that I'm an unnatural singer. Like it's not. It doesn't come unnaturally to me. But I mean, um, there's like a fun to it and a learning to it. And I kind of, I teach myself how to sing things that I can't naturally sing and that sort of thing. Like I'm, I'm often pushing myself and maybe to like some people's, not to some people's taste. Sorry. Um, but yeah, like I'm kind of like a find, I find singing like a game that I like play and try and get better at. And that's um, so cool. So you practice. Yeah, well, I mean, not as much as I should these days, but there's like, well, it started with the Jezebels in a lot of ways. One, it started with Unchained Melody, which is the first song I ever learned to sing, which is really hard to sing. Yeah. And I found that really rewarding. Like I might not have naturally been, you know, had that range or whatever, but I've listened to, I've always listened to singers that have this dramatic range. So I've always Mm. aspired to that. And so I've kind of built it, but like, Honestly, the timbre of my voice is actually pretty thin in a lot of those areas. And, like, it's just I just do it because I like doing it. It's probably not always 
the best way for me to sing. Like love I'm realizing now that like some keys certain suit certain singers and that kind of thing is actually something I've only really learned as a solo artist. I used to just sing to whatever the band were playing with the Jezebels. Right, right. And the reason I started singing high in a lot of those cases was because, like, sometimes they'd be they'd be playing in a key that was, like, not in a sweet spot for me. I would actually have to sing really low or really high. And then it was quite dramatic music, so I would use that kind of to dramatise and to get above the drums that were really loud and all that kind of thing. And Just to be heard. Yeah, and it, it kind of gave it the drama that, like, it sort of deserved as well. But, like... If you were writing a song for my voice, you probably wouldn't even write it in those keys some of the time. Yeah, right. You'd go in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're doing now in your solo I'm, work? I'm, I'm finding a new kind of voice. Like I still use that sometimes, that kind of low-high thing. Yeah. But more, I use more of the middle, which actually was kind of uncharted territory for me, so... It's kind of a struggle, and I'm real. I'm I'm learning that now, and so mm. it's, I always feel like kind of a bit of a novice because I'm always kind of working out new stuff. But I feel like I'm not a novice when I'm touring Jezebel stuff, and it's like stuff that I know. Yeah. But I have to be kind of healthy. It's like it doesn't just come. Some people it really does just come out, but they have their own limitations. Yeah, I totally picked you for one of those people. You sound so natural singing like belting and you also sound supernatural singing yeah like in your head voice and stuff okay so I am natural but it's not always the same yeah okay. that's that's what I mean by like I'm a natural singer for sure because I, I think it's because it's I like it and yeah. I think that's kind of what you perceive in people is like if they're having fun doing it but totally it's kind of unpredictable like mm, I don't always have immense amounts of control and you know, on a bad day, you can see that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you might have just said, it's like, it's a little bit, you know, and I, I kind of justify it with being like, oh, it's live music. You know, if you want perfection, go and listen to the record. Totally. Like, and I'm a little <laughs> bit punk as well, so it's yeah. fine. That's my cover up. Nobody else notices except you probably. Maybe not. There's also reverb and like a wall of sound yes. behind me, so it's yeah. fine. But that's I think that's partly why I use a wall of sound because mm. like, I don't think I'm actually as I'm not a slick singer. Like I'm not I'm not the kind of slick singer that pop requires these days. Like that really, you know, they have like a lot more control and a lot more. Yeah, but I find that kind of a bit gross. There's a sweet spot like for everyone's taste and it might just go beyond yours that how much control there is. It's like the yeah. chaos, it's how much you reign in the chaos and control the chaos. It's like some people just think that pop controls it a little bit too much. Tell me about then playing solo. So you said before that you have a wall of sound behind you, but you've done some acoustic shows lately, haven't you? Oh, that's my biggest um, horror, that this thing that I have to do called solo acoustic shows. Yeah. Why um, is it so scary? Well, it's horrific because <laughs> I, I'm not even a guitarist. But you like can I play literally guitar. not really. I mean, I'm moderately okay. <laughs> I I still even sometimes get the chords wrong, but I'm actually also just playing chords. Like there's no nuance to the play. It's very basic. It's songwriter yeah. guitar. Like I That's I okay. only use the guitar to write songs. And when I do my records, I get really good guitarists to play the parts. Like I write some riffs and I write the chords and that kind of thing and some of the rhythms and that sort of thing. And I sit there and like, you know, tell them how to play a lot of it. But yeah. I just don't, I can't play it. Oh, because singing and playing as well, like sometimes if I sit and play guitar, just guitar, I'm actually okay. But yeah. singing... And playing is like a whole other thing. It can be thing. hard. Yeah. And also singing and singing into a microphone and playing guitar. Yeah, it's a whole other thing because then you can't look. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. But how have they been going? Have they been going okay? Well, good. I mean, I just, I have like a bit of a mentality about it where like 
one, I love regional touring and it's been mm. one of the ways in which during COVID, which is like the only time that I've had solo music out, um, yeah. I've been able to go to regional towns because like it's just not cost effective to take a whole band to play to a reduced capacity regional yeah. town. Um, so I've been kind of carving out my paths to see, you know, on my own where where I where it might be good, where I might have some fans, where I should go back to with my actual band. But also kind of getting a knowledge of, you know, myself as a songwriter as well because I am I kind of am one of those old-fashioned people that thinks that primarily, not, not 100%, but primarily I like most of my songs to stand alone in that kind of folk way where they yeah. just are chords and and a singer. Yeah, I totally get that. Not all songs. I'm not purist about it. Like there's some brilliant songs that are just a computer making music. Like I yeah. get that as well. Like I love the Chemical Brothers. But yeah. I I just, yeah, for my stuff, I, it is like kind of that traditional thing and I think it helps me kind of get to my roots. It's also just very character building. Totally. And it must be weird to like a, a completely different experience audience wise as well. If you're playing mm-hmm. by yourself, your relationship with the audience really changes. Yeah, I've never been great at banter. And so it forces you to get a little bit better because it's very storytellery in its tradition. And so I just start trying to make the audience laugh. And as soon as you make them laugh, then you're disarmed. Yeah, I mean, that's always what you do. You just try and get self-deprecating. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is a struggle for me in a philosophical way because I feel like Australians are all too self-deprecating anyway, Yeah. particularly musicians. And I'm, so I'm like, well, it would be cool if I could be interesting and entertaining without just running myself Hanging down. shit on yourself. <laughs> yeah. Got nothing as yet. <laughs> I think those shows are different for people. Like they're not about this big mystique and this big wall of sound and this big show. They're about the intimacy and the the artists. Like, you know, they're kind of like the real fans that want to see a bit more sort of thing. Um, So it's kind of a good place to to do that. you got to read the room. So you've always written on guitar? You've never written on, on a piano or keys or anything? I use software now a little bit and like a MIDI keyboard sometimes. So, yeah, there is little bits of that, but I, I don't play keys. Like I don't, I'm not yeah. a pianist. Well, you don't have um, to, though, to make a song. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, no, I do. I mean, I've got – I just wrote a like two versions of a song, actually. One's like a really ballady one that was piano-y and one's like an uh, – like a – beat kind of like Jesus and Mary Chain kind of Motown meets dark noisy 80s vibe so (laughs) that sounds awesome so yeah I try I definitely try and write on different instruments depending on what it needs which version ended up winning haven't decided yet no they're actually both just in the folder of shit I need to share with my label do you have other people that you send stuff to to get your honest opinion well my boyfriend's pretty good like that is because he's a muso as well. Yeah, he's a muso and I never use that word. I can't believe I use that word. He's a musician. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. You can use it. That's okay because it's <laughs> your life. <laughs> but I just, I grew up in Byron and I have this fucking phobia of like that, that yeah. like gigging hippie, <laughs> I busk kind of. I have a phobia of the word jam, which I think yeah, possibly jam. stems it's, from the same place. It is. I think every... Every muso who, is, <laughs> who occasionally has a jam knows there's something a bit Vomit. irksome about all of that. I don't know if they do. No, not all of them. No, you're right. Not I all think of them. people love jamming and they love being musos. And no, it's not to say I don't love jamming or musos. It's just the words. Yeah. It's simply the words. It's Jamming's okay. It's no. okay. It's awful. If someone says, let's jam, I will run a mile. <laughs> yeah. I uh, See, I for me, the pinnacle of this is not even musical. It's it's fire twirlers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's and also I feel like hell. they are the pinnacle of what we're discussing. <laughs> and between jamming and fire twirlers, there is drum circles. Yes. 
And I'm not talking about traditional drum circles. No, you're talking about Byron Bay. I'm talking about Byron Bay. And that's where it comes from for me is like that that tradition of... It's an allergic reaction to all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's white dreadlocks yeah. in a nutshell, really, isn't it? <laughs> Do you think that, that you are the person you are because you're so allergic to those things? Like, do you think you've rebelled against all of that? Yep, 100%. I think the whole town did. Like, yeah. I mean, I grew up in the peak of hardcore coming of age and so that was a complete reaction in that town to sex, drugs, rock and roll and the hippie movement. Yeah. It was like no sex, no drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that, yeah, that kind of, it's not so much that I felt super part of that movement, but I related to a lot of the kind of like you live there and you had all these kind of like faux hippies listening to Ben Harper in the cafes and you were kind of just growing up just being like, this is not this is not how I see this town like I know it's how a lot of people see it but it's not how I see it from the inside I'm starting to get it I like it more as I get older but yeah I just because you're young and you're like angry and you're growing up and you're like fuck this shit just listening to negative creep by nirvana over and over and over yeah whatever your version of it yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) so I think it was just like this kind of anti just what's around you it was just a, a natural now i get you know obviously ben Arp is actually amazing <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's many people with white dreadlocks that i don't but know they're perfectly nice yeah, yeah and they're fine and they're actually talented. i know what you mean but it's just a taste thing it's just yeah a, you have to have something to resist when you're growing up absolutely you do so how did the Jezebels fit into that then? Were you still sort of rebelling against? Well, yeah, that was the next step on step. Who am I? The that next, was the next step. That was the next step, Anna. <laughs> um, so there's the rebellion against the hippie movement, which eventuates in like the rather dark kind of boys club. I mean, literally, they just wore black. Boys club brotherhood that was hardcore at the youth centre that we used to go to. It was like a, it's a very virile aggressive scene and I found it quite inspiring but I I didn't feel a part of it as such like you'd go there and you get like kicked in the head and then some guy would be like who are you here to fucking give a heady to it was pretty like puberty blues in those days it's not it's not really anymore it's very you know woke but um actually not in all ways but yeah so it's um it was a reaction to that because it was like, well, I'm going to play music, but I probably need to play with a girl. And like, there was only one other girl, I think maybe two that I knew in Byron that played music and Heather was one of them, but she was very disassociated with any kind of what you'd call a local scene. She like was like a classically trained Rachmaninoff Tchaikovsky kind of girl that didn't know what MTV was and didn't really hang out with anyone of these kind of scenes. And so the Jezebels is probably a reaction to that whole hippie thing, but also a reaction to the hardcore thing. But it also, like, it took on... At first we, like, were singing, like, emo songs because that's what teenagers listened to at yeah, that of course. time. And, like, we were a little bit influenced by that. And then we, you know, we were just writing songs how angsty teenagers did. And then it was probably when we moved to Sydney and met um, Nick the drummer. We knew Sam from Byron actually as well, but we started playing with him. And I think they're like, they turned it into a rock band rather than like an emo-y folk thing. The two guys did? Yeah, because they joined. We were always looking to make a band, but Nick's drumming is like pretty, you know, um, influential on the sound. Yeah, and, of course. And Sam's guitar was like a whole it, – it brought like an Americana kind of uh, – because he was really into country and, Perfect. and bluegrass that and that kind like of thing. That such so, a good mix of, of personalities. Yeah, 100%. But it's just – it's almost a miracle every time a song works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, people are like, why aren't Jezebel's making any more music? It's like, why did we ever? How did it work? <laughs> But sometimes it just works. 
I mean, that sounds like it was like a perfect, yeah, like a, a perfect Stop. combination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it's, it, it is great. And it's, there's still, there's things to be done there with that band for sure. But, um, do you think you ever will do anything? Yeah, I do. That's nice. How did you become like a, a learn to become a front person? Did you ever go like, I am going to be influential? There was no, no, I made several mistakes that made did me you? a front person. Yeah. What did, like, tell me some of your mistakes. Well, from the beginning, like, it was because I started playing guitar because mm. I wrote on guitar, but then like Sam was way better. And so I stopped playing guitar and was like, these are the chords, here's the song kind of thing. And then we started writing together. So I discarded the guitar and just kind of sang. But I started our first show sitting on the drum riser. Wow. And then I used to spew before every show. Oh, no. And From then, nerves. Yeah. Oh, so bad. And mm. then I think maybe the performance came from like possibly overcompensating for that kind of thing but then it became like kind of meaningful and sort of interpretive dance occasionally and it's also like memory like sometimes if I'm doing the right I'd I'd pull an arm a certain way to get a note for example like high notes I might need to lift an arm and then (laughs) like it was never conscious like it was always just like out of necessity like the movements help me remember because my songs are pretty wordy and yeah. then they'll help me remember words. They'll help me get the notes right. So part of it was just like a, a ritualistic repetition sort of thing that helped me do it right. And then um, there's the whole publicity and front person thing was like, well, yeah, I just said several things that like came across the wrong way once filtered through media Sure. And learned some bad lessons and, and that it affected the band when I said certain things. And so I kind of, I guess I slowly was trimmed into like what would work with this band and what wouldn't. Sure. But I definitely like even later on in our career said things that got me in quite a bit of trouble. Really? I haven't seen it. What what's like Oh no, nothing like, like racist or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I don't mean, I wasn't cancelled. I just said I said journalists should fucking get a real job. <laughs> but 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 they misquoted me and they and it was in context, like it was a laugh at the fact that musicians don't have real jobs. And sure. it was them saying, like, <laughs> talking about some negative reviews we'd had, which was in the context of, like, Heather being di- diagnosed with ovarian cancer that no one knew yeah. about except the band. Sure. And so I was, yeah. like, trying to sell this record that I didn't even want to make, really, and we yeah. were in the most destitute place and I was just, like, so I was, like, oh, some of the reviews weren't good and I was, like, oh, fucking journalists should just fucking get a real job. <laughs> like, had a laugh and then... They tweaked it to fuck off and get a real job and it became this. It was just as Twitter was kind of becoming a thing and it was trolling and I think, remember that girl, I don't know if she was a journalist or someone that actually like committed suicide because she was trolled so badly in Australia. Oh, yeah, yeah, publicly shamed. Yeah, and it was like, it was just that era where it was starting to happen and no one knew what it was. Yeah. Like now if it happened, you'd be like, okay, you're getting cancelled, so this is how you deal with it. Your friends would know what it is. It was actually a new phenomenon that people yeah. could contact you directly and like just be fucking cruel. And so that was a pretty big learning experience in like what it was was that like I didn't realise people gave a shit about what I said. Yeah. That That's was the a big kind lesson. Of yeah, is that apparently when you say stuff, it's so funny because it's a fine line because you you're expected to have a certain candor. Yes. Otherwise, you know, you're not raw or authentic enough. But then if you get too candor and you and you in somehow suddenly become what people perceive as powerful or influential, then then you're suddenly overstepping the mark. And I think the, the discrepancy is like that people don't see their own power or their own influence. They see other people's power and other people's influence. So when someone's getting like an, a level of like fame or influence, it's not obvious to them. 
Yeah, and until you get the backlash. Until you get the backlash and like, oh, wow, I didn't think people would give a shit that I made some stupid joke, like not really hurting anyone but kind of maybe, but like, oh, suddenly it's, you should be more responsible than that. And and so I think, yeah, you just kind of learn from stepping on people's toes and yeah. having them fucking lash out at you. That's awful. How did you deal with it? <laughs> Quite badly at the start, um, but it was, it was in a, con- a conglomeration of everything. Like the, the illness that had beset one of our band members that no one knew about the record that we continued to make partly because we were stuck in London and she wanted to do it to make us sort of her life yeah. go on. And yeah. I didn't really want to be there doing that, but I did. Oh. And and then the kind of, there wasn't like a lukewarm reaction to that record. It was like, well, I can't really tell you what we're actually dealing with here, here and how much I don't really care about your lukewarm reaction to our record. Sort of don't even really care about the record. Um, probably why it received a lukewarm reaction (laughs) but but you know it was a bit of a crisis that was private but it had a public side and couldn't be articulated um, yeah that's out of respect yeah it was it was a bit tough but it was like i forget the question i've probably rambled yeah i think it was just about being a front person and and learning how to do that i still think i don't do it well because even now i'm probably saying the wrong thing on behalf of the band as well like the, no. the fact is that, like, most people's notion of what happens with the Jezebels is, like, because they know the music and they have some expectation, but, like, really probably what happens centrally to two members of the band, at least, is that, like, Heather got ovarian cancer, which yeah. is so much bigger than, like, the band or... Yeah, it's so much bigger than you saying get a real job. Yeah, and, and like, what how that affected her life. Yeah. And so... I don't know. It's yeah. I know what you mean. It's such a big thing that um that I think about with people in the public eye is everyone has their own shit that they're going through and if someone says something weird it's probably because they've had a really weird day and something really shit's happened or something has freaked them out and yeah. um, it's not fair to put people on trial for one day of their life. You know, we need to practice forgiveness. Yeah, we don't have that in our culture anymore. It, I think it died when God died. Um, right. <laughs> and and I think when, when did God die? Um, a while ago. It's the Nietzsche thing. You know how he always yeah, said yeah. like, "God is dead," and yeah. and everyone always thought he was celebrating it, but he wasn't. He was like. And something worse is going to happen if we don't, you know, yeah. come up with, you know, a morality and this is actually not that good because we're just going to get into nihilism. And yeah. that's even worse than <laughs> oppressive religion. Um, but I, I quite like the idea of nihilism sometimes. Well, it's appealing because it's chaos and you just fall into it and nothing matters. But yeah, it's not really a way to live. It's a way, no. it, it's a thing to indulge for a phase in your life. I it's think something it's, that teenagers and young 20s people get into. Sure. It's like it's a just drug. So, it's so far from my life. I think that's why I romanticise it a bit. I it just think, is oh, a drug. Wouldn't it be nice not to care? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> not to worry? Well, it's also been romanticised because it's like it's part of the romantic tradition to ke- to think that nature is some perfect place at, yeah. where humans are free. And it's like, well, we are free to fucking die. Like yeah. in, in chaos, like civilization's so horrible and and nature is freedom. And it's like, I don't know if you were there <laughs> when there was no civilization, but I have a feeling the freedom was short-lived. Yeah. And, and it's like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I think, yeah, we romanticize. That's what rock and roll's for, is like yeah. to touch the void of, of chaos that we don't really want but we kind of always yearn a little bit but like we're not you're not actually meant to live there for like long periods of time but it's you can write about it yes you can write about whatever you want patty smith said a great thing about this was like because she obviously you know she lived in new york in a pivotal time she met Jimi hendrix before he died she met janice joplin before she died that book about robert maplethorpe like yeah she she had all these kind of amazing extreme artistic friends that like lived on the edge and then fell over it and 
she said that like and I, it's not like she was being accusatory but it seemed in reference to some of the friends that she'd experienced and lost was like she said an artist doesn't have to live the extremities they should put the extremities into their art and actually live moderately so that you they know can they survive. can th so that they can tell those extreme stories on on behalf yeah. of everyone and and relate to people but if you you know put your art too close to your life and vice versa and try and push yourself like often the art actually suffers yeah what's risky yeah it is risky and your abilities are thwarted and your longevity is thwarted and also your mental faculty faculties are thwarted so I, yeah the it's like it's a nice thing to think about and like occasionally dabble with the extremities and the nihilism but like it doesn't end well no and that's good to know <laughs> if you go there for too long <laughs> there's the gates of excess you're not supposed to linger at them yeah I totally agree and I, t I feel like we're so lucky to be able to um to live there in our minds and in our songs if we want to yeah that's know? maybe even what they're for yeah I don't know I'm just riffing here but like what's your what was your last song about the last song that you wrote was it escapism was it about <laughs> this stuff that we've been talking about I do about? write a lot of shit songs to be honest with you. <laughs> um so the last the most recent song I wrote <laughs> was actually a really soppy song Aww. called how do I get you back oh <laughs> that's nice um did it have the answer? Did you get them? Did you get them back? Well, no, it's a back and forth because mm. maybe I could make it about nihilism because it's like it's sort of a it's kind of a tip of the hat to like a Dolly Parton kind of or like a country thing where it's like you know it's a bit of a broken relationship that you don't want to be in and then you split up with them and then you're just like how do I get you back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but. Uh, and so maybe it can be a metaphor for that kind of how you feel about the nihilistic chaos, the romance, you know, it's like it's not perfect and I don't really want to live it all the time, but as soon as I get rid of it, it's like how do I get it back? Nihilistic it. romance. It's sexy. That's our, that's our new band. I'm going to ask you my last question, which is the question that I ask everybody. Uh, what is your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music? Mm -hmm. Well, talking about nihilistic romance, <laughs> um, the Jezebels were playing in Berlin. No, I tell a lie. It was Nuremberg. Oh, no, I tell another lie. <laughs> I'm blending all of my German experiences together. <laughs> so sorry. Somewhere it in was Hamburg. Oh, that's where my family's from. It was Hamburg. Oh, good, good for them. <laughs> um, and are you going like to talk about my family? <laughs> Does my family do something say. bad? <laughs> well, maybe. When were they uh, living in Hamburg? <laughs> no, um, the, I was in a Nazi bunker, Whoa. which has – they tried to destroy the Nazi architecture, but they couldn't because it was too well built, which is a really interesting fact. Sweet German ingenuity. <laughs> They're good at some stuff. Um, bad at other stuff. Um, but yeah, so we were in a Nazi bunker that was like had like three meter thick concrete walls, and obviously this is another um, aspect of German ingenuity. Instead of destroying it, which they would have liked to, they realized they couldn't, and it would be a waste of resources. So they kind of owned it and turned it into like this quite sort of uh, avant-garde art space that cool. where like it was like a gay club and it had a venue and it was like it was pretty fucking cool to be honest yeah. with you and um yeah we played a few shows there but one of these shows um was the first time we encountered the bald couple um <laughs> male and female that were a couple and they took they kind of followed us to all of our German shows and they had this habit um of <laughs> the the guy they would stand right in the middle in front of me right next to the barrier and the guy would just fondle her tits but like what the fuck <laughs> one tit one hand like just like round and round 
but like because I could see the tit. <laughs> And but they were just like, like they weren't out? making out. They were just standing there, staring directly at us. And he was sort of methodically fondling the tit. And but was it? Sorry, I just have a yeah. Everyone question. has some questions. Is it was it out <laughs> or was there was it yeah? Overclosed? No, it was out. Whoa. And and but like I couldn't so much see it because the hand was fully on it. Whoa. But I, yeah, I remember looking over at Sam and Sam's like a really lovely, on occasion, a <laughs> little bit prudish. Like he's not, he's, he's, a quite, he's not conservative in like the right wing way, but he's like, you know, he's like a little bit conservative in like, you know, good old fashioned values, you know, like yeah. real nice guy. So he was um, more he's, a gen- he's a little bit of a gentleman, but he, f- he was, c- he couldn't. I looked at him and he was just like laughing and then looking at the ground and like, I can't, I don't know what to do. And I just couldn't work it out. And then I, and he just was like sort of pointing his guitar in the middle and just like dying. And I just looked and that's when I learned how to not look at the crowd ever. Yes. Yeah. Cause sometimes Important it's like skill. very distracting. So I just looked above and I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> There is a line in one of our songs that says rubbing them titties and I, <laughs> I always think of them. It's it's weirdly in the context I think it's more poetic than it sounds. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Wow. And they came to lots of shows and just did this in the yeah, front no, row. Yeah, no, yeah, like they followed us a lot. And I feel weird telling this story actually because like I didn't I was kind of into it. I didn't mind it. Like I'm uh, we're not offended by this guys if you're listening. Um <laughs> It's fine, but it is it is weird. Like it's unique. It's a unique experience. It's never happened again. But the main thing was the tone of it. Like it's not like you know because rubbing a titty can happen at a show. Sure, um, but it doesn't sound like it was very particularly sensual. That was the thing. Like they weren't making out. They weren't like, oh, I'm so into you. It was like yeah. it was almost kinky in that they would stand mm. there quite straight and stiff and watch intensely. Like the whole show, but just with the, the fond like the round motion of just like rubbing the titty round. And I really wonder if it was just a Jezebel's thing, or if it was like if knows? they just do that at every show. This is unknown. I love the, I love the idea of like them having a conversation about it before they go out. Like, I should we do it again? Should we? <laughs> we need to get like the logistics. We need to get in the front row. We need to wear a top that's easily accessible. Yeah, I mean, you what know? are you in winter, like, when it's... Yeah. Do they still do it? There's heaps of questions around it. I think that's the main thing that defines it. Yeah. Is that there's no answers. Just yeah, questions. there's no answers. <laughs> I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Thank you so much, honestly, for, for taking the time. It was so nice to talk to you. You too.